Um, and we have been getting various different reports uh, of people who have gotten healed over this last week. Um, and so how many of you know God is good? Uh, he is, in fact, the healer. There's no question about it. Uh, we have to discern and understand, particularly in the season and time that we're in, that God's desire is to always has been and always will be uh, to heal. And so if you would, let's turn to Isaiah 53. We're going to start in verse 1. Isaiah 53, verse 1. It says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He have no form of comeliness that we should see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and, is, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, look at someone next to you and tell them, if you are, and you were, then you is. The, if you are, and you were, then you is. Uh, it, while it may not be proper English, um, I assure you that it is absolutely a biblical truth. Second, uh, 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that by his stripes you were healed, uh, which refers to Jesus on the cross, and that is the Old Testament. Uh, and then we have what the New Testament is telling us, or I'm sorry, New Testament is 1 Peter, and the Old Testament is telling us that uh, by his stripes you are healed in other words it's speaking to a future event which is jesus hanging on the cross and so between the two events if you are and then it says you were then how many of you know then you is and i think the challenge many people don't understand is how that given the nature of how do i say it our faith in healing or given the nature of what we've been taught about healing uh, so many people put it so far out there to believe that it's something that God will do if he chooses to do and only when he chooses to do it. And to then begin to b build our faith into a place where we can trust and believe uh, that God is in fact our healer, that God is in fact desiring to heal us, that we do have access uh, by faith to healing and that God has appointed many different ways for us to be healed, that we can appropriate healing in our lives as long as we can build ourselves to a place to trust and believe that he will. And so let's go to Exodus 15. Verse uh, 26, Exodus 15, verse 26. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that does what? 
Now, one of the challenges with this particular verse, and, and the reason why I started here, is I wanted you to begin to understand, when he says that I will put uh, none of these diseases upon thee, if you're using your own Bible, you probably want to put a little mark there and put allow. Put really means allow. Um, one of the things that begins to uh, provide some level of conflict in the English language when Hebrew is translated is what is causative versus what is an effect. So in other words, he's not saying that I will put disease upon you, or in other words, that I will uh, actively cause a disease to come upon you. Because a lot of people think sickness and disease is there to teach them something. They're, they're like, well, you know, God must be trying to teach you something through this sickness. And they suffer through it thinking that God causatively is trying to teach you something by placing sickness upon you. There is no place in the Bible where God has put sickness on the believer. Are, are you understand what I'm saying? Sickness is the result of not being a believer or the result of being out of the will of God or a result that allows Satan, who is able to function and to touch your life with sickness and disease, and that's where it comes from. Uh, this is why so many people don't understand how when God gives rules to life, when he says, you know, this is how I want you to be uh, functioning sexually. I want you to get married and then have sex. And then people think, well, you know, I, I just, he just doesn't want me to have fun. Well, then when they contract diseases, then now they want to believe God to heal them of something that, are, are you, are you understand what I'm saying? And so, um, while he will do that, I mean, I, I don't want you to think that now that disqualifies because your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. But what I want you to understand is it's hard to place uh, responsibility on God for something you chose to do. And then to say, he did this to me and he's trying to teach me something through this. Uh, we have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. And if God wants to teach us something, he will teach us by the Holy Ghost. That's why the Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. So since you and God are always on speaking terms and your prayers don't have to go any further than your belly, then you understand that he will speak to you by the Holy Ghost and not cause you to walk in sickness in order to prove something or to teach you a particular lesson. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Because again, this is, this is a very thin line of doctrine, but it's extremely important and it's extremely real. Because some of you will say, well, you know, there's something in here I got to learn. Well, then ask God and he will reveal it to you by the Holy Ghost. But he will not put you into calamity to teach you something. And I hear better, amen. amen. And so when he says that I will put none of these diseases upon you, uh, it doesn't mean that he has placed diseases. In other words, that he has created disease and put it on you. It means I will not allow them to come on you. But if you watch the context here, you'll begin to see what he's saying to you is that if you'll diligently hearken, or in other words, if you will do what I've asked you to do, I will guide you into healing. I will keep you in good health. Notice the only thing that gets you to a place of, of operating in some level of sickness and disease in this particular scripture is that when you 
step outside of all his statutes. You step outside of his commandments. You won't do what's right in his sight. And you won't give ear to his commandments. Then he's saying that the reason why the Egyptians struggled the way they did was because they were outside of my will. And so the diseases that came upon them will not come upon you because you are a blood-bought, redeemed child of God. You are walking in his commandments and walking in his statutes, and you are doing what he's asked you to do. Then sickness has no right to come nigh you. Does that make sense? So then what people then don't understand is that they think that he is just a healer, and they never recognize the fact that it's not just after you are sick that he shows up as a healer, that he is a healer long before you are sick. He has healed you the moment you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The same faith that got you saved is the same faith that will get you healed. And so you walk in divine health, and he will lead you and counsel you into divine health by giving you his word, his commandments, and his understanding, his statutes, so that you may walk in them. So then that helps me to understand that I am not the sick trying to get healed. I am the healed fighting to stay that way. Because will we fall under attack? Of course we will. Some legal attacks and some illegal attacks. But we will fall under attack. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you that you will not be challenged in what you believe. And so the moment you are challenged, then the question becomes, what is it that you are made of? Or what is it that you are believing? Or what grounds are you standing on in order to function in the healing that God has for you? This is now germane to the idea of who are you associated with? Uh, where are you physically? Where did God place you? What connection did God give you? I've watched people who've been part of the body and they move to different places because they think that's what God told them to do. And they step outside of healing because they're divinely associated with certain in, uh, institutions, certain organizations that teach healing. I've seen churches where the, the pastor's sick and everybody under the pastor is sick. Why? Because there's no healing anointing working because there's no faith in that area. It's not a measure of picking on anybody. You believe what you want to believe. But I don't know about you, but if God said he would heal me and there is healing available, then I want to sit under teaching that will bring me to the place of walking in that. I don't want to be the only person driving a nice car in the church. I want everybody driving a nice car in the church. I don't want to be the only one living in a nice house. I want everybody living in a beautiful home. Why? Because if the word is being taught and it's real, then it's going to work for the pastor just as much as it works for the people. And if it's not working for everybody, then it's not the word of God because God is no respecter of persons. So when I align myself or I understand where I've been divinely placed, I recognize what it is I'm believing God for and I'm connected to people who are going to help me get there. Who believe like I believe. That's why when Paul and Silas, the Bible says when they were uh, released from prison, it says they returned to their own company. What's their own company? People that believe like they believe. People that when they went back and said, you'll never believe what happened. God shook the prison and opened the doors and we came walking out. And they're like, no, we believe that. <laughs> That's their own company. Not a bunch of people say, you sure? You, you sure it was like a well-timed earthquake? That's not your own company. Yeah. 
Your own company are people that are going to believe the way you believe. Your own company are going to be people that understand what you understand, that are going to believe God the way you're going to believe God. That's your company. That's your people. Those are the people that you, find, that you are literally connected with. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? And they believe the way you believe. Does that make sense? So then when he says uh, verse 15, I'm sorry, verse, we're at, we're 20, 15, 26. Let's go to Exodus 3. Exodus 3. And Moses said, uh, verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. And God said moreover to Moses, That thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial unto all generations isn't it interesting how when he said who do i say that you are god has given him a command god is telling him this is what i'm going to expect you to do he's receiving his assignment he's receiving his marching orders and he then says what do i tell people your name is and god says you tell them i am i am what and then he goes on to say, you tell them that I am sent you. And then he says that I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, <clears throat> one of the unique characteristics of God, and we're going to get a little deep for a second, we'll, we'll come back out. But one of the, the characteristics or the nature of God is that he does not have a name. And he does not have a name because there is no word that can accurately depict in totality who he is. So then if you notice, all of his names are all descriptions. They're not a name. In other words, he, you don't call him Bob. He's not a person. But when you begin to look at Jehovah Rapha, he is my healer. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Niskadu. All these different names that are associated with him are all variations of a description of him. Not his name. Then when he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then we now begin to see that he's depicting himself, not in himself individually, but idiosyncratically by the person he's the God of. <laughs> so if he's the God of Abraham, then Abraham's interaction with God is who God is. And now he uses the characters to define himself because he's saying that the same...
person, Abraham, who dealt with me, how Abraham dealt with me is who I am. So then when you look at Isaac and you see how Isaac dealt with God, God is saying now in a unique way, the idiosyncratic way that Isaac dealt with me, that's who I am. And then he goes on to say Jacob. And the idiosyncratic way or the unique way that Jacob believed me and how Jacob saw me, I'm that too. So then I become the God of the individual because how you approach me will determine what I am to you. And if you believe me for it, I will give it to you. But it is not so much that everybody can label me in one way because no word could ever describe the fullness of who God is. But the same God that Abraham believed is the same God that Isaac believed is the same God that Jacob believed. But they all believed him from different perspectives. Now the power of God becomes unique to you. And this is where people kind of miss it. Because they're like, well, how come one got healed and the other one didn't? Because the other one believed you didn't. <laughs> now I don't know how they got there or why they're there. That's the job, right? To now build your faith. To get you to the place where you can obtain what God has said you can have. But I cannot be comparative in my assessment because the same God or the same way that one person can believe God is not always the same as how another person can believe God. So when you see someone who says, well, you know, God healed me in a particular way. He just told me to go outside and, and make snow angels and he healed me. We don't teach that as doctrine. That's your experience with God. That's not the doctrine of God. That's the experience with God. And if you're not careful, too many people preach their experience with God and not doctrine of God. Because doctrine of God is not able to be uh, skinny down to my experience with him, but overall how he's revealed himself. That's the whole nature of revelation. See, <laughs> Paul Tillich, which is probably one of the foremost theologians of our time, um, wrote it this way. God must reveal himself, and man must receive that revelation. So then revelation is a twofold aspect. God must reveal, man must receive. So then if it's called revelation, revelation is rooted in the revealing of who God is. So then if revelation comes to one, but yet it doesn't come to another then the same people could be sitting in the same service hearing the exact same message and one be moved and one not. One get revelation and one doesn't. This is why utterance is greatly affected by the hearers. When people come to receive, the, the anointing is there to minister to them, to give them what it is they need because they are desiring of the things of God. But when they don't desire the things of God, then they're sitting there going, well, that was just a great message. And then they're looking for some type of outward manifestation. Well, you know, uh, how come pastor didn't lay hands on me? How come he didn't speak a word to me? The whole message was a word to you. I can't tell you what God says to do and doesn't say to do. If he tells me to do it a certain way, that's the way we fit in to do it. He pays me extremely well. He pays me better than you. So he's the boss. But to then relegate the message down to say, well... You know, that was a great message, but 
he didn't speak anything specifically to me, then you showed up with the wrong intentions. Because everything that was said from the very beginning was speaking to you. And those who came, who have ears to hear, came with the understanding that I will not be denied because if I came to get something, then I want to hear everything that is said because I automatically assume from the very beginning that whatever is going to come out of that pulpit is something I need to hear that I can then apply to my life so that change can be made and change can be brought. Well, are you speaking to me directly? I don't know. Maybe yes, probably not. I don't know. What does it matter? The reality is that if you came to receive every word is going to bring something unto you. And this is where revelation becomes necessary for what we walk in. Because what he's really saying is the revelation that Abraham had of me, I'm that. Okay, good. Well, what about Isaac? Oh, yeah, the revelation Isaac had of me, I'm that too. <laughs> so when he said, who, uh, who are we going to say sent me? He said, you tell him I am sent you. I am what? I am your healer. I am your banner. I am your rock. I am your strong tower. I am your cleft in the rock. I am everything. Whatever it is you need, you must believe that I am. And when you come to me, you've got to know that I am a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. So if you want the victory, come to me for the victory, and I'll give you the victory. If you want to overcome in any area of life, come to me, and I will help you overcome. If you want finance, breakthrough, I will be your provider. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God of more than enough. I am El Shaddai, not El Chipo. So whatever it is your revelation of me, whatever's been revealed that you're willing to receive, then I'll be that. But quit looking at other people who are willing to walk in more faith than you will and thinking that somehow God loves them more than he loves you. He has no respect concerning persons, but he is a respecter of faith. And he says, so when they ask you who I am, you tell them, I am. <laughs> See, they needed a name. And he said, well, here's my name. I am. And if you study in the Hebrew, I am, he's saying, I am, I was, and I will be. See, the... the <laughs> The challenge that people struggle with is they don't understand that as people, we were not meant to die. We were not built to die. We were supposed to live eternally like God. He, we were made in his image. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and we lost our privilege to live eternally. So when Jesus comes to restore humanity back unto God, people are acting like healing is something new. And then they're negotiating healing like, oh, you guys just want to believe in healing because that's just something y'all made up. No. 
the reconciliation back unto God put us back into the state we were in initially with God. Healing is not new. Healing has always been present. Sin is what separated us from God. He said, if you eat of the fruit, dying you shall surely die. Man was removed from the garden so that he would never stay in a fallen state for eternity. That was not a punishment as much as it was to save mankind. Because if man had stayed in the Garden of Eden and continued to eat from the tree of life, he would have lived forever. Adam would still be here today. But in a fallen state. And God's desire was to reconcile his people back unto him. And so the fruit of my reconciliation to God is the fact that I get to walk in divine healing. Look, look at um, Psalms 103. Actually, let's go to Romans 4. And then we'll go to Colossians 2. And then we'll go to Psalms 103. Romans 4, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of what? For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is now void, and the promise is made of none effect. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, this is what people, how do I say it? When, when you look at the nature of the Bible, you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments weren't given as a rule of how to live with God. It was a rule of how to live with each other. If you study the, when the Ten Commandments came, uh, the Ten Commandments showed up because everybody was fighting with each other and they were doing things that God said, I need to give you a set of rules of how to get along with each other. This is why the moment you start taking the Ten Commandments off of buildings and out of schools and you start to let society drift away from God's precepts, it's starting to get more chaotic. Uh, it's only becoming more chaotic because God's rules were set in place for us to live together. What does God care technically if you covet somebody else's wife? It ain't his wife. Think about it. It was how God gave rules of how we're supposed to interact and live with each other. And ultimately, that's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love each other as you love yourself. You know what Jesus just told him? He said this was the law prior to anything ever happening but now we had to get more specific because some of y'all couldn't seem to translate that you're not loving other people if you're trying to love their wife. So now we had to break it down to get you clear. But from the very beginning, the law of love was what prevailed. The law of faith is what prevailed. Do, do you see it? But with the sinfulness of man, it made it almost impossible 
for people to make these connections between what is the law of love and what is the most important thing. So then he says, if they which are of the law be heirs, then there's no need of faith. Faith is what overcomes the law. The law is what uh, is the rules. And if you have lived more than two days, you have broken the rules. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the only way that I can access into the promise is I'm going to have to access it by faith. Because there's no other way to get there. This is why people think like, well, you know, I messed up, so now I've, I've got to get saved all over again. What are you talking about? If you could break the covenant by you messing up, then none of us would have a covenant. It's through the obedience of one that rectifies the problem of the disobedience of one. And his name is Jesus. So then we enter into our covenant by faith in Jesus and the blood of Christ is what creates opportunity for us to live unto God without penalty. Does that make sense? So then Colossians 2. Verse uh, 13, if you can put it in the King James. So then when the Bible talks about where there is no law, there is no transgression. Um, if you were going down the highway at 120 miles an hour, and you are on the Autobahn. See how I did that? Changing the location changes the crime. There is no crime if I'm on the Autobahn. Why? Because there's no speed limit posted. So where there is no law, there is no transgression. The only way you can have transgression against the law is if a law be posted. So now if you're flying down a highway in Arizona and it says 75 and you're going 125, 150, you have broken the law. Why have you broken the law? Because there's a sign posted. So wherever the law is present, transgression becomes possible. <laughs> Do you see it? So then if we live by faith, we walk by faith, we believe by faith, we have access by faith, then the law is not subject, or let me say it this way. We do not lose all that belongs to us because we are outside of the law. You now may have natural consequences. In other words, you rob a bank, you go going to jail. Don't be like, he sets the captives free. No, you, no. You, you did it. You own it. Are, are you on it? What did I tell you? Colossians 2.13. Put it in the NIV, please. And you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. How many? All, All our sins. Right? All. Verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Why am I spending so much time here? Because I really, really, really need you to understand. Stop letting Satan make you think you messed up. And that's why you're sick. 
Stop letting Satan tell you that because you've done something wrong, this is why you're struggling with illness and sickness in your physical body. Stop letting him tell you that. You want to know why that doesn't make any sense? Because he canceled the charge. If, if, if I end up in court on a situation and the judge says, I've canceled, the, I've canceled this and this is a wrap, and he releases you and says, I've canceled these charges, what are you standing trial for? Now, I don't care if a lawyer is constantly following you around, telling you, we're going to charge you with this thing. You're going down. You're going down. Everywhere you go, lawyer shows up. You're going down. We're coming after you. But the judge said, You cannot be tried for the same crime that you have been found innocent of. It's called double jeopardy. So I don't care if the district attorney's walking around. Everywhere you go, we're going to try you for this thing. You're going to burn for it. The judge has already said that they found the criminal. They charged the criminal for it. I've been released. So what case do you have against me when they already caught the criminal? The challenge is that the criminal they caught was not the criminal. You were. But they charged and he paid the debt in your stead. But it was not you who paid it. He paid it. You are the benefactor of it, which means no longer can you be charged because he has canceled Whatever indebtedness you think you have. So here's the problem. Because when people think that Satan is, is uh, correct. And that somehow God is trying to teach them something. And that they owe some level of responsibility so that they accept sickness. It's really arrogance. Because what you are saying is that the sacrifice that Jesus made for you wasn't good enough. So now you somehow have to make a sacrifice of yourself as if you were. <laughs> because that's why it says he canceled the indebtedness which stood against us and what? Condemned us. He's taken it away. Where do you put it? Then what are you doing with it? If it was nailed to the cross... What are you doing with it? This is why when you look at the Syrophoenician woman who came, she said, my daughter is grievously uh, vexed with the devil. And Jesus wasn't even talking to her. He said, the bread is not for dogs. He's talking to the disciples. Many people think he's talking to her. He's not even talking to her. He won't even recognize her because she's not a believer. She's not a covenant child yet. She's a Gentile. And he says, I can't give her healing. Healing is for the Jews. And she responds in the middle of the conversation and says, yeah, but even a dog gets the crumbs. And Jesus stops and says, woman, great is your faith. He goes, you can have what you ask for. Go your way. And her daughter was healed that very same moment. She's not even a covenant child. 
The centurion comes, not a covenant child, and says, my servant is vexed and sick with the palsy. And he says, all right, well, take me to him. He says, no, I'm a man who understands authority. Just say the word and it'll be done. He said, because I understand how you tell people to do this. I'm a commander. I tell people to do this. They do it. I tell them to sit. They sit. I tell them to go. They go. He said, if you command this to happen here, it's going to happen there. And he's not a covenant child. (laughs) He doesn't even know that there are ordinances against him. Because where there is no law, there's no transgression. He doesn't know that there are ordinances against him. Yet by faith, he asks God for something and God meets him and gives him exactly what it is he asked for because he came without the stipulation of the law, of his mistakes, of his inabilities, of his problems. He came by faith. And the only thing that overcomes the law is, y'all see it by now? Good. Let's go to Psalms 103. Actually, do me a favor before you go there. Go to uh, verse 13. And then let's go to Psalms 103, verse 1. Look what it says here. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he did what? Okay, Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth. I want you to see the connection. He says in um, Colossians, having forgiven you all trespasses, right? And that's what separates you out of the law and gives you access by faith. Correct? Okay. So then Psalms 103, he says, who forgiveth all your iniquities. You know what iniquities are? Your weaknesses. Your inabilities. Your stupidity. You think you ain't stupid, you're stupid. Because we all are. But he says, I forgave all of your iniquities, all of your inabilities, all of your weaknesses, He says, I forgave them all. Then notice what's tied with forgiving them all is he healed all your diseases. It's like jumping in the pool and saying, I jumped in the pool Saturday morning, but I probably won't get wet until Thursday night. Just like water is wet, forgiving thy iniquities heals all thy diseases. So the moment you confess Jesus and he forgave all of your iniquities, all of your stupidity, all of your weaknesses, all of your inabilities, the same precise moment he healed all thy diseases. Just like water is wet, 
Forgiveth, healeth. It's a package. Comes together. You can't get one without the other. Are you seeing it? So then this is why he's speaking to his soul. And he's saying, verse 1, he's saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Forget not his benefits. There's a story uh, that is told. I really honestly don't know the validity of the story. In other words, I don't know who the individuals are in the story, but the story itself will illustrate the point. So I'm going to tell you the story. So one day this woman calls her pastor and she invites him uh, to her home. And when he gets to the home, he sits down with her and she says, I don't have any food to offer you. Um, I'm really struggling. Life has been very hard. I lost my job. Uh, And when I lost my job, I just, I have no income. And so I'm really struggling and I need help. So she said, the only thing I can offer you maybe is a cup of tea. Would you like some tea? He says, sure. So as she goes to make this tea, he says, what happened to your job? She says, well, I worked for this wealthy family. uh, And then one of them died and they let me go because they didn't need me anymore. And I took care of their home. I have no education. Uh, I've been doing this for I don't know how long now, pretty much all my life, and I have nothing. And he says, you have nothing? He says, all they gave me was a piece of paper that said I was fired. She goes, I can't even read. I never went to school. So he's like, well, show me the piece of paper. And she's like, well, I framed it and put it on the wall. So I would never forget how I've wasted my entire life working for these people. So she goes and gets this thing and hands it to him. And it's a check. And the check is for a couple million dollars. Because she can't read. Because she's in a position to not know what that check was for. She has lived in abject poverty the entire time while the check is on the wall. He's saying, listen, soul, don't forget your benefits. Somebody hands you a piece of paper, read it. If you don't know how to read it, find somebody who does. (laughs) But make sure everything that belongs to you is not sitting on a wall in a frame not being used but to don't forget what has been done in the moment that you were forgiven is the same moment that he's healed all of thy diseases and it comes as a benefit package to your forgiveness. And so as long as I understand that with my benefit package comes certain rights and privileges, then he's saying, listen, soul, or in other words, listen, me. Quit forgetting about what God has done for you because, verse 3, who forgiveth all your iniquities and he heals all your diseases. Keep going. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. 
who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. You know what it means to have your life redeemed from destruction? It means, you know, because some people say, you know, if I didn't have any luck or if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have. Well, first of all, quit talking about luck. Because if my life has been redeemed from destruction, you know what redeemed from destruction means? You have a dollar. You go to the store. And you buy two candy bars. And it comes out to be a dollar. And you have a 50 cent coupon. Buy two, get 50 cents off. How much do those two candy bars cost you? Quick math lesson. It's a dollar, right? 50 cents each. Two of them. I go to the cash register. And then I have a 50 cent coupon. What does it cost me? 50 cents. Right? Plus whatever the tax is, correct? Okay, good. When I handed the coupon over, I redeemed it. So why you keep handing the cashier a dollar? If my life has been redeemed from destruction, then that means I don't expect bad things to happen <laughs> because my life's been redeemed from that. So when Satan tries to tell me, you know, things are getting too good, something bad's going to happen, you're a lie. My life's been redeemed from destruction. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to come in your house and break all your stuff. and You're a lie. My life has been redeemed from destruction. I'm going to come after your kids, boy, and I'm going to get them. You're a lie. My life has been redeemed from destruction. So when it's been redeemed, that means somebody walked in with a coupon and put it on the table and said, I bought it back, and I've redeemed them. Notice what he says. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things. That thy youth is renewed like the eagles. <laughs> Listen. He satisfies. No, I, I, I need you to understand because some of you, some of you, maybe not here. Maybe those that are listening or somebody who will listen to the podcast later or watch the video later, maybe I'm talking to them. No, I'm talking to you. Have not learned that your mouth is going to get you in trouble. When you keep saying things like, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired and sick and tired of sick and being sick and tired. And then wonder why you're sick and tired. Let, let's let, let's go to Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is that speaking like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. One translation says the tongue of the wise is medicine. You, you ever, uh, I've never had this personally happen to me because I, I really just, uh, I'm, I'm anti-medicine. So if they tell me I got to take some, I'm doing all kinds of research to figure out 
what the side effects are and all kinds of things. So I'm, I'm anti that process because I feel like they just give you stuff and they don't care. And next thing you know, you went in with one problem and then the medication causes a whole different problem and then you got to get another pill to deal with that problem and then that causes a different problem and, and then next you know they got you. But what I want you to understand is this. The tongue of the wise is health. So then if the tongue of the wise is medicine, then the tongue of a fool has got to be poison. Right? If the tongue of the wise brings health and it makes you feel better, then the tongue of a fool has the adverse effect like taking the wrong medication. So then what you say and what you speak is like the piercings of a sword. So then if you are believing God to be healed, quit saying anything else but that. Because what you want to do is go and get sympathy. You want the attention of man. And now you have your reward. But if you want the reward from God, quit believing that you can walk around saying anything. Dealing with a situation personally, myself. Talking to the doctor. The doctor says, I've never seen anyone come through all this. And I said, well, you're about to see her first. <laughs> Listen, you, you have to acknowledge, and I'm not going nowhere, so don't. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> you know, some of you are, ooh, child, I hurt. Don't. It, it ain't even that serious. But what I want you to understand is, when people are speaking against it, you got to be able to stand up and say, I don't care if you walk out and they think you're delusional. You walk out and they're like, whew, something wrong with them. They just as loony as a loony. Hey, that's fine. But when I come back in and I show you and then you say, you got no say. I'm going to tell you, I say. Because what I said is what God said. And because God said it, I'm saying it. And when I say what he says, I'm going to see what he saw. But so many people will allow others to dictate what comes out of their mouth. It's, it's like when, when people say, you know, you, you talk about prosperity or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, listen, I, I prosper. There's no question. I prosper. It is my desire that all of us are going to prosper. I don't withhold anything concerning that area. But just like I don't pretend not to be healed around sick people, I'm not going to pretend not to be prosperous around people that don't have. Because if I'm healed and I'm around some folks that are sick, I'm going to get you healed. And if I'm prospering around some people who ain't, I'm going to get you prospering. Yeah. 
Why? Because the same God that did it for me is the same God that will do it for you. And so if I understand that, I'm not going to pretend or downplay what it is because you are uncomfortable being around me. Because if you're uncomfortable, what you should be doing is paying attention. Well, I just, I hurt all the time. I just can't believe how bad I feel. And I'm so sick of you. You always talk about how good you feel. Catch a hint. Get a clue. Wake up and realize your mouth is digging your grave. That's what I said. The tongue of the wise, it's like medicine. <laughs> God, I thank you I woke up today. Every day above ground is a good day. Father, I thank you my life has been redeemed from destruction. I don't have to worry about being in car accidents. I don't have to worry about being in calamities. My life has been redeemed from destruction. You satisfy my mouth with good things. My strength shall be renewed like the eagles. Your tongue becomes medicine. Did you take your medicine? Are you taking your medicine? When you wake up, are you taking your medicine? Three times a day, are you taking your medicine? Or, or are you taking poison? Can I... Can I <laughs> Look at... Uh, Isaiah 65, 24 in the NLT. And then we're going to Isaiah 33, verse 20. He said, I will answer them before they even call to me. Because some of you are like, well, God knows what I need. We know that. He does know. But just because I know doesn't mean you've given me permission. Listen, these are two probably some of the most prosperous people I know. I know they got money in their pocket, right? She made, she's got money in her purse. He's got money in his pocket. I know that, but that doesn't give me permission to it. That doesn't give me a license to it. People, well, you know, God knows what. Listen, he said, I'll answer you before you even call. But guess what? While they are still talking about it, I will go ahead and answer <laughs> no, listen. He says, I will answer them before they even call to me. Which means, I know you're going to call. Right? Because I know what you're going through. So, I'm going to answer the phone. Waiting for you. But, while they're still talking... If you never talk about your need in prayer with God, then he cannot go ahead and answer. Because you, you know, well, God knows what I need, so I'll just wait on him. What you waiting on? You ain't even talked to him about it. He said, if you call me, I already know before you call, you're calling. I'm ready. You ain't waiting on me. I'm waiting on and while you're still talking about it, <laughs> I'm moving. While you're in the midst of praying, because you know some people, boy, they so spiritual. 
right? They be warring in the spirit. I'm, I'm travailing in the spirit. <laughs> God, God's like, why are you even talking? I'd have handled it. Let me know when you're ready. I'll wait. You know what it says? That's Old Testament. Now we have a Mo Better covenant. Where I tell you go, Isaiah 33. We'll, we'll probably stop here. I think. Maybe. Isaiah 33, verse 20. <clears throat> Instead, you will see Zion as a place of holy festivals. You will see Jerusalem, a city quiet and secure. It will be like a tent whose ropes are taut and whose stakes are firmly fixed. Keep going. The Lord will be our mighty one. He will be like a wide river of protection that no enemy can cross and no enemy ship can sail upon. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. The enemy's sails hang loose on broken masts with useless tackle. Their treasure will be divided by the people of God. Even the lame will take their share. The people of Israel will no longer say we are sick and helpless for the Lord will forgive their sins. He said, I'll set you up in such a way that when the enemies come, you'll be so protected. He said that their boats will be raggedy. He said their sails and their tack will be loose. They won't be able to hold it together to get to you. No longer will you say, I am sick. For the Lord will forgive all of your sins. When the enemy comes, the boat he has cannot get across the separation that God has created. Everything he has is so weak when it stands against the power of God. The only way it's going to get there is you're going to have to help him get there. Because he's already set you up to be a a city of peace place of refuge such a divide that no enemy ships can get to you he said and then you will no longer say you are sick for the Lord is our judge he is our lawgiver the Lord is our king and he will be the one to save us <laughs> Can I take you one more? This is why 2 Corinthians 4.13 becomes so important. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, therefore we what? That's why I said, you'll no longer say you are sick. <clears throat> you will no longer open your mouth and speak things that are contrary to what God has done for you. You will no longer curse your own seed by you allowing your mouth to say things that are not medicine to your physical body. He said, we having the same 
spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. We speak what? What we believe. What we believe out of where? Out of what is written. Out of what is written where? Out of what is written in the Bible. So then what do we speak? That which is written. That which is written because we believe it. That's why we speak it because we believe it. So then if I are... Then I am, and I is. Because I speak only what the Word says. It's not denial. It's confession. I don't care what the circumstances say. The circumstances doesn't drive or dictate what I say. Well, you're just in denial. Okay. And if I die in denial, it is what it is. <laughs> but what's worse is someone who has zero confession and dies earlier. I know that should Jesus tarry, eventually I will die. I just ain't trying to go tomorrow. And I ain't trying to go today. But if that's his will, it is what it is. But according to what I know, according to the word of God, I have the right to live a long life. I have a right to have my mouth satisfied with good things. I have the right to live to a ripe old age. I have the right to prosper. To walk in divine health. To have healthy relationships. These are rights that belong to me. Forget not his benefits. So if you're going to catch me confessing anything. I've been around people that will be like, are you sick? No. Yeah, you are. No. I saw you with a tissue. No. You got to be sick. No. I heard you coughing. No. Come on, just say it. Why? Why? Whose team are you on? Just say, you just, why don't you just admit it? Why? So I could be like you? <laughs> I'm healed and whole. From the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Exactly. The way God designed it to be. Well, I just, you don't look sick. You don't seem sick. Well, or, or you don't seem healed. Or you don't seem well. Yeah, well. You're not that cute either. <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to say? Because if my words are my medicine, then I have to learn how to take my medicine. Now, will I take natural stuff? Yeah, of course. Doctor says do this. I'll do what doctor says in the natural. But you best believe the medicine I'm going to keep taking is the medicine of my words. And I'm going to keep professing the things over my body that need to be professed over my body. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Satan, I don't know who this message was for, but I know that it was for somebody because every attack imaginable came against this message today. And that's usually a sign that somebody here needed to hear. And quite possibly it's a few people that needed to hear. And so the grateful part of this for me 
is that God is willing in the midst of all that chaos to still deliver the message that needs to be delivered. So Satan, we put you on notice. Your papers have been filed. You have been served. And you now know that the deception you've tried to bring against God's people has been shot down. They know that the health of their tongue, there's healing in it. And we thank you for it right now. They'll continue to speak over themselves. In every situation, in every way, the fullness of what you afforded them, Jesus, when you died on the cross for them. They were forgiven and they were healed all at the same time. We thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. All believers in the house said, Amen. Amen. Sure, love you guys.